production support comes from Smithville Fiber, the GigaCity company, a philanthropic community partner since 1922 and proud supporter of numerous community organizations. More information at smithville.com. And School of Public Health Bloomington, public health reimagined, addressing 21st century health challenges with a multidisciplinary approach to disease prevention, health promotion, and enhancing quality of life publichealth.indiana.edu. Hello and welcome to Noon Edition. I'm Sarah Whitmire. Bob Zaltzberg is out today, so Barbara Brozier is joining me as co-host today. And we have a full house for our discussion on student lunch debt and lunch shaming. The USDA requires all public schools to put such policies into place into writing by tomorrow. Um, you can join today's conversation by calling 812-855-0811. You can also tweet your questions today at Noon Edition. In studio today, we have Julio Alonzo. He's with the Hoosier Hills Food Bank. We have Kate Young with Mother Hubbard's Cupboard. We have two MCCSC school board members, Kathy Puentes-Royer and Sue Wanzer. And then we also have Tim Clower joining us on the phone. He's with the Community Kitchen of Monroe County. Thank you all for being here today. You're welcome. Thank you. We, thank you. We did invite MCCSC to appear on today's program, but they declined our invitation. MCC is revisiting its lunch debt policy after hearing solely from opposition from the community during its meeting this week. Here's John Kenny addressing the board. On average, we serve four alternative meals per day at lunch and one alternative meal per day at breakfast. Our numbers are somewhat low because in many instances, food service staff, teachers and or principals pay for meals on behalf of students rather than have them receive the alternative meal. So, Sue, I want to just start with you and if you can explain what the district's current policy is and, and how that even came about. Well, um, to be very clear, we've always had a policy. Yeah. Um, we've had this policy on the books um, for a long time, and it doesn't just talk about um, the indebtedness of families. It also talks about standards for our food service and our cafeterias and for workers, but part of it is what, how meals are charged and what happens when people go into debt. And we've always had the three lunches can be charged until an alternate meal is served. The change that happened this year was because the federal government asked us to add in our policy, somewhere put in a policy, that how we would repay debt without using federal funds. And we've never used federal funds before, so um, that was fairly easy to do, but it, it retained the part about the alternate meal, about um, not allowing, about taking students food, if they had a hot meal, taking that away from them and throwing it away. And Kathy and I had um, proposed a motion in May to delay consideration of this policy until the June meeting. Um, I think maybe if we had delayed the policy and we had heard from people like Julio and Kate and others in that interim, we might have been able to revise this a lot easier than what we've gone through with a lot of, with a lot of emotion and stress to our community. But to be clear, this is the same policy that the district has had. This exactly. is just thrusting it more into the public, public eye. By, yeah. Right. Exactly. And for the life of me, why in the world? I didn't address this before. I don't know. It's just one of those things, you know, you're paying attention to a whole lot of different things. And I really regret that I didn't do this at some time during my tenure on the board. Can you talk about what's going to happen moving forward. There was a slight change at the school board meeting this past week that I think many people were happy to hear that this is going to be revisited. Well, after um, Kathy and I um, and then Kelly Smith spoke um, in response to the public comments that we were hearing because we thought it seemed very appropriate not just to let that go but to actually go ahead and respond to some of that. The superintendent said she believed with everything she had heard that she needed to take that information and modify our policy, which is what she's doing. So Sue, what role is the school, I'm sorry, not Sue, Kathy, maybe you can just talk about what role the school board is going to have now in drafting this new policy, the deadline's tomorrow. Yeah, the deadline's tomorrow, but I don't think that that means that we have to that's that's for the federal guidelines, and that's for how you're gonna um, how you're gonna get back that debt. But that's not necessarily anything to do with the, the policy of taking away lunch from a kid or anything. That's that was the federal guideline. So um, 
we still, I, as far as I know, I have that flexibility of waiting until July to look at that, okay. that part of the policy. Okay, so you've met the guidelines in terms of having right. something. Okay. Right, like it wasn't firmly that we can't revisit it. Okay, and I know you actually have students at, you have children at MCCSE. Can you kind of explain what this is, what this is like? Have you ever seen sort of the policy in action and what happens to a kid? Well, I um, have heard about the policy in action because of my own child. <laughs> um, I, um, I have had my kid come home very angry and in tears at me because I didn't give him enough lunch money, and so he had to have, um, at that time, an uncrustable Smucker's round yucky sandwich. And so he was very angry at me. But that's a family of means with a mommy that forgot, and it's not, it doesn't have the same weight or loadedness as someone who's living in the bubble or in poverty. And so that was why I shared with um, the community, my own uh, connection to that is having been raised by a single mom, I, I know that she was very stressed um, on her own, and I can remember her in tears at getting shorted for child support. And I was the oldest of three, and there's no way I would come back from school if that had happened to me and share that with her. So that's part of, not only is it unfair, but it's not really going to work because it just means that the burden shifts to the child. I wasn't going to come back and add more stress to my mom who's already crying about child support. Uh, I'm wondering, Tim, maybe if you can jump in and talk a little bit about what hunger, a lot of people who haven't experienced hunger, I don't think, understand what exactly it is and especially the impact it can have on a child. Can you talk a little bit about that and the work you do to address those issues? Well, um, over the past probably 10 to 15 years, uh, Community Kitchen, we've focused a lot more on providing meals to kids and reaching out to them through our programs. And I know other agencies have done that as well. And the main reason is that they're the most at risk. So, of course, kids have the least control over what they eat and when they eat it. Um, you know, our programming currently during the summer, we start up the day after Memorial Day and we go until the day before kids go back to school. And we not only provide lunches, snacks, or breakfast to you know, uh, programs like the Boys and Girls Club and Girls Incorporated and the Rise at Middleway, New Hope Family Shelter. But we also do a two routes each day, Monday through Friday, where we go to 10 different low-income neighborhoods um, where there are at-risk kids, maybe kids that aren't involved in some of the programs through Park and Rec or other programs that are offered, mainly, I think, because of logistical issues and getting the kids there, which is an obstacle for a lot of families. But we go to these 10 different neighborhoods. Basically, we put down a blanket and, uh, you know, serve the kids. It's totally anonymous. Uh, any kids can come out and eat lunch with us. And each route goes to the five different stops. Um, right now, with uh, the other programs we serve, we're doing over 600 meals a day, so doing about 200 lunches, 100 breakfasts, and 300, and 300 or so snacks. Um, because of we operate under the same restrictions that some of the schools do through the USDA and Department of Ed, we do get some reimbursement, but because of some of those same rules, we're only able to get reimbursed for about half of those meals that we distribute. Um, so that's the thing we're doing during the summer. And then, of course, a lot of people have heard about the backpack program during the school year. been doing that for about 12 years. Um, currently, during the school year, we do that at 18 different schools. Um, we're doing right now about 400 backpacks a week. The backpack, the kids are able to get and take home at the end of the week to help supplement their family's food over the weekend. Um, currently, we've switched from actual backpacks to doing biodegradable bags that kids can then put into their backpack or to take home. How does the, I guess, in your opinion, Tim, how do we balance the need to feed kids with the need to follow government rules and regulations since those two things, it doesn't seem like can be separate. Yeah, it's it's um 
it's challenging. There are a lot of restrictions. Um, I understand where a lot of the rules come from. There seems to be a lot of worry, of course, that kids are going to take the meals and give them to an adult or, you know, that the kids themselves aren't going to eat the meals. Um, we serve all of the kids that we see out on our routes during the summer. Um, you know, we're not able to count the meal unless we actually watch the children eat the meals. Um, that's where us and the USDA kind of uh, split on our ideas. Um, we are still distributing those meals to kids, even if, for example, a child comes to the van and says, my mom told me I had to get my meal and just come home with it. Um, but some of the kids do stay and eat with us. Um, it's a short period of time, which is about 15 minutes. But what we've found is it's kind of a, a somewhat of a dance that we do with the Department of Ed and USDA to balance following the rules while at the same time the way I kind of look at it is a way to advocate to change some of the rules if they don't work. Um, you know, there are not only the observation of meals, but there's a time restriction. Uh, any of the programs we serve, you know, you have to serve the meals at a certain time or they don't count. Um, for example, if the kids at the rise or at the pool and it starts to storm and they come back, you know, to the, to the site early, they may want to feed the kids lunch at that point in time. But if they do that before the time that they're supposed to, those meals, you know, we can't count those meals. So there are lots of challenges. I think that we've worked with the USDA and the, the folks from the Department of Ed that visit our sites to try to get them to understand the reality um, of what it's like to try to reach all the kids because ultimately they do want to feed hungry kids but many times those rules you know restrict us from being able to do that and reach as many kids as we'd like. Julio and Kate I want to give both of you the opportunity to, to get involved in the conversation here. One of the things that Superintendent DeMuth said this week is that she was hoping to meet with the two of you and some other organizations to come up with changes to this policy. So what sort of ideas are, are you going to recommend? Julio, we'll start with you. Well, sure. Uh, well, the, the superintendent did reach out uh, uh, yesterday, actually, and, and I know she invited several folks in addition to myself to a meeting uh, next week. Um, my understanding is that that's not really to discuss the policy itself, but to discuss how organizations can get involved in helping work with families and make sure that the debt doesn't occur or, or, or ways for the debt district to recoup the debt. What I was told was that they, they're going to work on the policy independently and that it'll be easy enough to change it so that uh, no, no child is given a different meal, that all, all children are given the same meal. I don't know exactly what that means and uh, I want to see it in writing and see exactly what that new policy says before we, we move on, but we uh, and and uh, I mean I speak for the for the food bank, but I know many of the other organizations and folks involved uh, uh, at the meeting are happy to come forward and try to work with the district to to do whatever we can to make sure that um, every family that's eligible for free and reduced is is enrolled and 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 do that outreach uh, and even support. Uh, the the community coming forward and supporting the fund to help cover those uh, those uh, debts. Our concern was that 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 has to be the second piece. The first piece has to be changing the policy so that no child is is shamed or embarrassed or deprived of that meal. Yeah, I just wanted to to clarify that this doesn't really seem to me to be an issue about hunger or children not being fed. The children are being fed in the in the school. They are given a you know, one could argue a, a nutritionally balanced alternative meal. The problem with it, for me and for Mother Hubbard's cupboard and uh, many of the others who have spoke, has to do with the stigmatizing of the child. And you know, Dr. Demuth said at the May meeting that the exchange of the lunches was handled in a um, delicate manner. And um, that might be true, and it might be true that 
no other students would notice that the child had received an alternative meal. But there is one person who does notice, and that's the child. And what's being communicated to the child in that moment is they would rather throw this meal in the trash than let me have it. And I think that's a really powerful message and not the kind of message that we want our school system to be communicating to the children in their care. Um, it's really about respect, dignity, not humiliating children, and not stigmatizing them. We did have um, a question on via email earlier this week that spoke specifically about the policy and kind of looked at it from the money standpoint. I know that many school districts are saying this is a tough situation because it's a, it could be a financial issue for us. Um, but Jennifer said, how much does it actually save to give someone a cold lunch in light of the fact that some of the hot food is then potentially discarded at the point of sale. I don't know, Sue or Kathy, if you can weigh in on that. And, and we know it does save something um, because um, wrapped food is returned to the lunch line. It's basically maybe the hot portion of the meal that has to be discarded. So in in essence, overall, it is a little bit cheaper, but that that's not an issue for me. Um, I, I haven't cared about the financial aspect. Somebody could say I'm an irresponsible elected official because I just said I don't care about the financial aspect. In this situation, I care more about the kids. And I proposed allocating money from our general fund or from our referendum fund to cover anything that couldn't be covered by fam working with families or donations. And so if there's still outstanding debt, we would cover it. We, we've been covering it year to year to year out of our general fund in the tune of about nine to $11,000. Now, um, it might not be easy, but I think we can find some ways to, to cut some money. We have a, a school board travel budget. We can cut that. Um, some of the supplies, we can be a little bit more um, um, frugal with some supplies. We can find some money to help cover this because I don't want to necessarily rely on the community, especially hearing from taxpayers who said, hey, I approved the referendum. I'm paying taxes. Why should I have to donate now to can't you find a way to pay it through the school corporation? I was wondering that, Julia, because you were talking about being a partner and even helping in this, but it seems like Hoosier Hills is always needing food, too. So, I mean, really, what is your capacity to do even more? Uh, well... We want to be involved on, on every level in, in addressing hunger in this community. Obviously, um, the Food Bank, Mother Hubbard's Community Kitchen, all these other organizations, we have to raise money ourselves to, to be able to do what we do and, and supplement. Uh, but we've always done that in uh, in a manner of a partnership. We don't really see ourselves in competition with each other. We see ourselves supporting each other and working together. And you know, we're not uh, going to try to cut anyone else out of, of funding or anything like that. We're happy to be engaged in trying to help the district raise that um, that money. I contributed to the fund myself, actually, because that's the only alternative the superintendent gave me when when uh, she resp finally responded to my email. Um, but the the point is that shouldn't be the first line of defense. Um, we can look at that, but the but as I said at the meeting, the community shouldn't be blackmailed into making donations to the the the, the corporation's foundation with the knowledge that children are going to be shamed and have to experience this otherwise. The district should change the policy first, support the children, take them out of the equation, and then I am fairly certain the community will rally to, to find other ways to, to fund this. And just you know, one other quick note, the, the, the question that, um, that you just asked is something we've been asking too, and that, that's been another frustrating component of this, is trying to get information out of the district. If some of these questions had been answered early on, if we'd been engaged earlier on uh, instead of ignored, this might not have come to a big public head at a meeting like that with, you know, 100 people in, in attendance. Uh, just for people who weren't at the meeting, I know all of you were, and I think it's it'd be great if you could explain the atmosphere of the meeting because it, it got heated at moments. And I know a meeting last week, this is a very emotional issue for folks. Yeah, it's been really incredible to see the outcry from the community about this policy. It was um, everyone that I've spoken to personally, when they hear about the policy, they're outraged by it. And that was very evident at the school board meeting um, on Tuesday. 
there, everyone who got up to speak about the issue was opposed to it, as, as you mentioned in the introduction. And I think that's unusual for school board meetings. Usually there's, you know, more than one side presented. And everyone was really making the case that we've got to leave the children out of it. Uh, there were some really emotional um, testimonies, as you saw, from st former students who had experienced firsthand very recently this uh, circumstance of having them real replaced and that they indeed did feel humiliated. And it it's unacceptable to treat our children this way, and I think that's why there has been so much outrage. One thing I wanted to get back to for a second about how organizations might assist. I'm not sure that um, you know providing food was necessarily what they had in mind, but what, one way that I think an organization like Mother Hubbard's could play a role would be to make sure sort of an education piece and providing access to the information about getting enrolled in the free and reduced lunch program. That is something like I know that every effort is made in the schools to make sure that students and that parents and families know how to enroll in this program and what the eligibility requirements are and the paperwork is sent home. And But I also know that some families fall through the cracks. So there are people who, who qualify for it who may not know. There are people who don't even know that it exists. I spoke with someone, a patron of Mother Hubbard's and a volunteer who had said that she thought once she didn't qualify for food stamps anymore, that was all that was available. She didn't even know that there was a free lunch program for people who she thought it, you had to be on food stamps to get any food assistance. So that's, you know, that was really eye-opening to me. I would think that everyone knows about it, but not everyone does know about it, and not everyone knows that they qualify, and they may not give a second look to the paperwork that comes home because they assume they don't qualify. So I just feel like not every, you know, not everyone who is receiving the alternative lunch or who has the um, debt is necessarily living in poverty. I mean, presumably most of the people who, families who qualify for the free and reduced lunch are receiving that. And so some of the debt might be accrued by families who have, um, you know, an disorganized household or have a crisis going on at home and you know there's just a lot of reasons but there can also be people who are falling through the cracks who who are eligible for the lunch program but don't know it so I just think regardless of what the circumstances are at home the burden should not fall on the child that's the bottom line for for I think many of us who spoke out and and just to add to, to Kate we do know there's a lot of working poor and people who are just above that cutoff line for free and reduced lunches um, what I would hope that you folks might talk with the superintendent about is is even creating some kind of um, next level lunch scholarship so for people who don't qualify we'll do our own kind of program maybe maybe to cover those folks but um, I'm, I'm just really I'm really happy that you're going to be talking with her because I think you have some resources and some ideas um, to help improve this whole program. Just to be someone who hasn't doesn't have a child in the district right now at this level, when if somebody's on free and reduced lunch, when they go through the line, they get the typical lunch. But then it, this exactly. is exactly it's the, just the folks who right the free lunch kids get it for free. I mean, and nobody a normal knows lunch it. and nobody right knows. and nobody knows it because they're punching in a code, and the reduced price children pay forty cents a meal. And again, nobody nobody knows what anybody's balance or what their status is because everything is done electronically. So that that guards people's um, anonymity, and I think that's important for families to know because they might not want to do this because they're afraid of being identified. Sure, exactly. We do have to take a quick break. Uh, though today we're talking about school lunch debt policies, lunch shaming, a term you've probably heard. You can join the conversation today by calling eight one two eight five five. 0811. You can also tweet your questions at Noon Edition. We'll be right back. This is Noon Edition on WFIU. Production support comes from Smithville Fiber, online at smithville.com, and IU School of Public Health Bloomington online at publichealth.indiana.edu. WFIU News covers South Central Indiana and the state each day 
You can read news throughout the day as it's posted on our website at WFIUnews.org. And you can pick up a digest of all the top stories. It's like a newspaper delivered to your inbox each weekday afternoon. It's a free and easy way to stay on top of not only the headlines, but also the in-depth audio, video, and print news stories you can't get anywhere else. Subscribe right now at WFIUnews.org. How we do. Uh, hello, welcome back to Noon Edition. Today we're talking about school lunch debt and particularly talking about MCCSC's policy on school lunch debt and a recent decision to review that policy. Our guests today include Julio Alonzo, he's with the Hoosier Hills Food Bank, Kathy Fuentes Royer, she is a school board member, as is Sue Wanzer. We have Kate Young, Mother Hubbard's Cupboard, and Tim Clower, I believe, is still on the line, and he's with Community Kitchen of Monroe County. You can call in with your questions at 812-855-0811, or you can tweet your questions at Noon Edition. Let's just start off by going straight to the phones. We have Jordan from Bloomington. Jordan, go ahead. Yes, uh, good afternoon. Um, one of the things I wanted to bring up was the issue of uh, students and um, why aren't students involved in solving this problem. Um, when we first had one of our children in Bloomington High North and uh, we noticed that <clears throat> uh, they were using uh, throwaway dishes and so on, we asked the principal, why did that happen? They said, well, the students kept throwing silverware and so on in the trash. So the question is, why aren't students involved in solving this? The other thing, as far as poverty is concerned, you know, the kids notice the differences. The kids know who's got nicer clothes. They know who has been talking about the fancy vacations they're going to. They know who smells little different so the issue about shame is much larger than what you're talking about and there's significant racism and bullying in the schools and I think this is just a small part of it thank you thank you Jordan um, Julia do you want to respond to his comments about poverty just the sort of the scope of it in addition to lunch debt uh, sure. Well, I, I think this this is one of the reasons that it, that drove me to to get more involved into this issue. That th this is one small thing that we can take out of the picture. <laughs> uh, I mean, th these th this is on us. These kids are already dealing with a lot of those issues, particularly if they are coming from a household that's that's low income or, or poverty. But even if they're not, you know, growing up is, is hard. <laughs> um, there are bullies. There there are difficulties. Uh, not everyone has the same advantages, the same um, loving parents, the same kind of situation. Our goal in our school system should be to remove as many obstacles as possible and to make it a, a nurturing and safe uh, environment for all children. This policy doesn't do that, and, and we, that's something we can change um, relatively easily. And Sue, what did you think about the suggestion to get I, students involved? I think Jordan is is right on. We try to get students involved in a lot of different things. Um, maybe it's because it's summertime, um, but we really didn't include it. And I think when I leave here, I'm going to send the superintendent a message and see if there's any students around that we can involve. Certainly, um, our high schools, student governments can be helpful for with this. Um, the other thing I think that's really important is maybe we get some people who this policy has affected involved with this. Get some kids who have lost, who have had their lunch taken away. Um, or get some parents who have faced this kind of debt to talk about what what kind of guidelines now we have because the board will approve the policy and I certainly hope it will change to take away the taking away the meal but when the guidelines are written that's done by the superintendent so I would really really like to have people who this affects be involved with that. We do have a, a Facebook comment from a woman named Judy and it's a little bit of a different perspective of, on all of this about the role that schools have 
in feeding children. She said, I did not feel as if it was the school's responsibility to, responsibility to feed my children. Unfortunately, children do suffer for their parents' lack of responsibility. Children is, in this school system do not go hungry, as many people want others to believe. They are offered a sandwich, fruit, and milk. It may not be the lunch the student likes, but if their parents want them to have a hot school lunch, then they need to pay for it. Um, I know that we've heard some similar comments to this, Kate, uh, made a, a meeting last week at Mother Hubbard's Cupboard, and many people referenced those doing the school board meeting. Is this an issue of parent responsibility? Well, whether it's an issue of parent responsibility or not, the child should not be put in the middle. And I think just to echo what Julio is saying is that there, there may be problems at home. There may be um, parents who are um, either stressed by a number of different issues going on or who maybe are not being responsible. But the problem is when the school chooses to put the child in the hot seat and make them responsible for something that they shouldn't be responsible for. The communication should happen with the parent or caregiver. It should not happen to the child. We want our schools to be safe bully-free environments, and this kind of um, practice of, re of stigmatizing the child through the, the replacement of the lunch can contribute to bullying and um, further humiliation besides just the, the fact that the lunch is being replaced, but, but humiliation from other, other students. And does the school really want to bear that responsibility of making life harder for that child. So to me, it's it. first of all, I find it insulting that um, there's this assumption that we understand what's happening in individuals' homes. And if, if I've learned anything from the seven years that I've worked at Mother Hubbard's Cupboard is that everyone has a story, and you do not know that story when you look at a person um, or when you see the car they're driving or when you, you know, see the clothes they're wearing or whatever. Nobody knows the intimate stories that are happening inside individual families and it's just I just don't want to see the schools participating in making life hard for children in any way and I just feel like they need to, to take the children out of the equation. I, I would just add to that real quickly that we we may not like it but the fact of the matter is this has become the way many children get fed every day. That's a reality. Those uh, summer programs Tim talked about earlier are critically important. And, and as I told the school board in my email to them initially, the summer is the time of year I fear the most because these kids are not in school getting a good meal. That may be the best meal that they have all day. Personally, I think that's uh, a wonderful use of my tax dollars. And I think most people would agree with that. But we have to accept the reality that this is an important source of nutrition for these children, and, and we shouldn't be messing with it. Um, the thing that I think has been frustrating by the conversation from the very beginning, or about the conversation, has been the getting convoluted in the idea that somehow if we don't shame children, or that, that by shaming children, then the debt's going to go down. Like, we're not separating the two issues of paying debt. Nobody's saying, like, everybody gets a free lunch, whether you can, you know, we're saying that, that there's no cost-benefit analysis that comes out on the side of putting children to shame for, for something out of their control. So it, as long as we draw a boundary around that, as it seems that the community has done, and said that no kid should suffer for whatever perceived you know, actions of the parent or inaction of the parent, that it's not the child's fault or in their control. If we draw a boundary around that and keep the kid's emotional and physical well-being at the center, and then we can address debt. And, you know, there are a number of different reasons. Some of it is just communication. I get those phone calls home. They have an automated, th automated thing when my, my kid's lunch count gets low. And that has really helped me because it's such a pain in the neck to get that same phone number every single day okay, now I'm exposing myself on radio, but in, in any case, so that I go and pay that debt, you know, that's one form of communication. But if you don't have that phone number correct, or if there's, you know, there, there are different ways to try to communicate with parents in different ways. And our, our, our social workers can only do so much, but that's why the community at large in these organizations like Mother Hubbard's Covered um, 
doing that kind of information to the to the public and, and reaching those families would be very important and is a wonderful outcome of this is the is the partnership of trying to find out what the situation is and, and help people who are struggling or just miss the boat like I you know, like many of And us. you know, Judy brings up a really good point, and maybe this could be a noon edition topic some other time. What's the purpose of public education? You know, we could say it's it's not the purpose of public education to feed kids. We have a lot of schools that clothe children because they don't have warm weather clothes, uh, cold weather clothing. Um, should we be teaching people art and music because that's not really the academic curriculum? Should we pro- be providing extracurricular activities and preschool care and after school care? That's that's a really, I mean, that's a whole separate topic, and we already know apparently that feeding children is important because our federal tax dollars are covering that for many, many children. So, Well, and know. educational research shows that a kid cannot learn optimally until their right. basic needs are met. So you would think that at the basic level, we're going to meet children's basic needs. Right. That's a societal problem, not just the school. Exactly. And, and, you know, for 30 years, we haven't had mental health institutions. We haven't had the kinds of nutritional centers that we used to have in the 80s. A lot of things have changed. And the place where all of those needs fell was public education, where we're providing for so many needs that um, nobody else in the government or in our society is providing. 812-855-0811 if you have a question for our panelists today or on Twitter at Noon Edition. One of the things Kathy said is she mentioned, you know, kind of um, if I don't pay for my kid's lunch, is that going to cause this bigger problem? And I know that was something that was mentioned when you had your meeting at Hoosier Hills. I think it was Superintendent DeMuth said something about in Bedford, they'd had a problem like that where um, they did away with it, but then immediately everyone was sort of got the impression that if I don't have to pay for my kid's lunch, then I don't have to pay for mine either. <laughs> Nobody wanted mm-hmm. to pay for their lunch. I mean, is that a real problem? Potentially, sure. Uh, and, uh, you know, again, all of this is anecdotal. We, we, we tried to get numbers on what this was projected to cost, and the district has not been forthcoming with those. They've still not been forthcoming with those. We've heard, you know, $11,000, dollars to $11,000 a year. We heard a number of $40,000 thrown around if every child who falls in and out of debt um, does this. Then we started hearing the $60,000 number that this happened to Bedford when they changed their policy. Uh, We don't know what the number is. Uh, And and the point is, instead of asking us to to, to do the reverse and give the policy of continued shaming uh, uh, and, and donations a chance, let's change the policy and give it a chance to see what the end result is, and then we'll figure it out. Um, I, I don't know that we're going to see that kind of a, of a response. Uh, I, yeah, I can't say that for sure, but I can't imagine that that many people are going to take advantage that quickly. I, I am curious, Kathy and Sue, if you have heard of other districts who have policies that, that seem to be working that perhaps MCCSC could model a policy after. Sure. and in, in fact, we, we got um, an email from somebody who spoke at, at the board meeting, who then also sent that information on to the superintendent, and I think she's going to be involved in the meeting on Thursday, of some different ways that other school corporations um, have handled it, including how they get their food, um, how they order, who, they're, who they procure it through. So I think there are lots of different ideas, and, and there are schools. I mean, we can just look to New Mexico, who passed right, a law um, against this, and look at what those school corporations are doing to cover their debt because we do want to be responsive to our community. We don't want to waste money. But I'm not sure that spending money on children um, who are hungry is wasting money to me. I'm sorry, go ahead. I was just going to let everyone know that the um, Food Research and Action Center, also known as FRAC, has um, put out a lot of information on this topic. Um, You can look them up um, on their website. And they also have put together a whole document about best practices to ensure access and prevent stigma. So there is a lot, uh, there are a lot of resources out there to help school districts um, work through this problem that don't just ignore the debt. And Kate was kind enough and she sent this to the school board and to the superintendent. So we've all had that information and access to that information. We have a question from... If I might add, in addition, uh, the USDA themselves came out with a 70-page document Mm -hmm. called overcoming the unpaid meal challenge yes and 
you know, in that document, they talk about how across the country, many service food providers at school systems basically say that the alternate meal is not an effective way to address it. Um, there's a lot of alternatives, and these are all taken from schools across the country. So that just came out in May, but it definitely shows a lot of alternatives to, to lunch shaming, which is something that even from above the USDA, even though they're requiring this policy in writing, they don't really want the alternate meal to be served if possible. The USDA is requiring the policy, but they're not saying, here's how you should do it, or it's not okay. They're just saying. In in fact, they're discouraging shaming. I mean, they're going overtly saying, just because this is the tradition that we've had across the country. You know, there are other school communities where they've stamped children's hands and said, I need lunch money right there on their hand. They have other school communities where they've made children. New Mexico, the guy that put forth that that law, when he was a child in foster care, he was made to clean tables and floors. So this is something that um, that has been happening across the country and that they're actually saying stop doing. Well, and that's why I think many of us find it so frustrating that our school board passed this practice, you know, put, put this practice into, into writing and, and, and passed this policy when Sue Wanzer recommended delaying the decision in order to get more community input and all of these other resources are available to come up with a different way of of collecting this debt and dealing with this issue and still the superintendent chose to push forward in the May meeting without getting the community input that was obviously there in June and so now the policy is has been has been written and you know it it could have been delayed and it could have been passed in time for the July 1st deadline. And that's why I feel very frustrated as a community member who is giving input, who's providing these resources and doesn't seem to be like, you know, now maybe they'll relook at it. But it's it's very frustrating to have, to have had that opportunity and, and been dismissed. I do want to say we did invite MCCSE to appear on today's program and they declined our invitation. We only have about 10 minutes left and if you have a question the number to call in is 812-855-0811. We do have a question from um, Sarah who wants to know specifically about the the current policy and the process that students go through. She wants to know is there a reason why this has to be handled at the end of the lunch line and a student's lunch then needs to be taken away versus could this be handled from the beginning, from the moment they walk into the lunchroom? You know, we talked about that back in May. Um, and actually, since this was a policy, we we had to ha- have two readings of it. So we even talked about it earlier. And um, I can remember saying, can we just switch everything and, and put somebody at the beginning of the line um, to let someone know how much money they have in their account? And the superintendent seemed to think it was a staffing issue. Um, that we didn't have the people to do it, and um, and I understand logistically it, it could be difficult, but now I'm just really pleased that we. I mean, I. But the bottom line is we didn't really want the kids involved in in that anyway. So um, I like what we're moving towards. I I do know that we talked about this not necessarily being a hunger issue, but I know that at the school board meeting there were several people who spoke out, particularly one girl who'd been through this process and talked about how it can then lead to hunger for kids. Can you, Kate, maybe talk a little bit about that or Kathy about how this can impact kids? Yeah, um, Celestina did speak about how, um, you know, when she, when her father lost her job and um, a friend of hers also had spoken to her about this, that if you're not sure whether there's enough money in your account or not, you're going to avoid the lunch line altogether to avoid going through that humiliation or having everyone notice. You know, she talked about how it felt walking back from the lunch line to her seat, carrying the different lunch and just having to face that. And if you've already got stress going on at home, your father's lost a job or somebody's hospitalized or whatever's going on that's causing that debt to accrue, you're, you need a good meal and you need a, a meal in a in a setting that's not going to be humiliating and uh, 
shameful. And so, you know, I think that a lot of, you know, I've also heard other stories of people feeling like there's certain foods that they avoid because of the trauma of having to get that every day at lunch, you know, um, not wanting to eat peanut butter anymore. You know, somebody said that their son had, had gone through that and just now refuses to eat peanut butter. And so do we really want to be contributing to and messing with children's relationship with food in this way and creating shame around it? It can lead to, to eating disorders. It can lead to children skipping lunch because they don't want to face the possibility of this. And that, to me, would be truly tragic. So... Right now, if we can just talk about what happens moving forward, the superintendent will draft the policy and then it will be open to the board and public comment well, again? Or? Generally, that's what happens is um, the administration drafts all of our policies and brings it to the board for our acceptance or um, any amendments or cha- our consideration, and it goes through two hearings. Um, since this is an amendment to a policy, which we were considering before it was an amendment to a policy, I'm not really sure. Um, I, she's going to bring it back in um, in July. It's our policy to have two readings. I don't know that we need to do that, or we will. We can always vote um, to put those rules aside and just have one reading. We don't know what's going to happen, but certainly um, there's always public comment at the beginning of the meeting, not on, on individual items on the agenda, but the agenda is always published the Thursday before the Tuesday meeting, so people will have a chance to see it ahead of time. Okay. We have another caller. We have Nancy on the line, and she has a question. Nancy, go ahead. I'm curious about why, if a child doesn't have enough money in their account, their hot lunch is taken away and they're given a cold lunch. That just seems wasteful. Well, you want to know the truth? It's it's to force the parents to pay. It's um, it, and and I think that's been acknowledged um, by many people that if a child goes home and is upset, then the parents going to say, "Oh my goodness, I better do something about it." Um, so again, it, I mean, it really is using the child as a pawn. Okay, I hope that answered your question, Nancy. Okay, and that sort of fits into just another email question we have about how much money does it really save to throw the hot the hot food away in favor of an alternate meal? I feel like we've talked about it before. We just really kind of don't have the numbers. Yeah, I, I don't think that the the reason that they're given the alternate meal is is to save money. I mean, I I think it is to communicate, is to use the child and that lunch as a communication tool. At least that's what we were told was that it was to get the parents' attention. And that's what I think that the public and what I am speaking out against as a citizen is that, and school board member, is that um, that's not an acceptable use of uh, a lunch. That's not, it's not acceptable to use children. And, and real quickly, um, at the end, I think Kathy and I both want to make clear we're not speaking for the school board. Um, we had the minority position on the board. Um, and so we're speaking, each one of us is speaking for us individually as an elected representative to the school board, but not for the board. Are you hoping, I did notice at the meeting, that there wasn't much board discussion before the superintendent did say, okay, I think it's clear we need to. Do you think it's important for that to happen in a, a public meeting and for people to be able to hear the position of those who, who say, hey, this is a big financial issue and we, we have to grapple with it somehow? We're, you know, we're democratically elected. And so, you know, democracy is a messy and people have different views and different ideas. And we had a discussion at the last board meeting. And then we I think we had comment. Those of us that wanted to comment on it did comment at this at this past one. So I feel like that that certainly my views have been uh, communicated. I think you make a really good point. And and I did ask in the May meeting um, after Kathy and I spoke if people who were supporting this policy would speak and we didn't hear. Um, so I think you're correct. I think people deserve to hear why someone's going to vote the way they are. Um, we all have to have, we can't vote, we're just not voting arbitrarily. We all have to have a reason for our position. And I think it's fair for the public to expect an elected official to explain why they're voting the way that they do. We have a question from Jack uh, from Facebook, and he's saying, why not give parents 30 days to pay off the balance after the school year and then turn it over to a private collections agency? 
that certainly is one idea that has, I mean, a lot of people have said, why is it three charges? Why can't it be a week or two weeks? Because that's how a lot of people get paid. Um, 30 days, certainly. And um, a collection agency, I know a lot of people um, bristle at that, and it might not be the best possibility, but that's what we do with textbook rental fees. When people don't pay, and, and we work with them for a while, we send it to a collection agency, and we certainly don't take away the textbooks like we take away the lunches, and we don't make kids stand up in class and say, this kid hasn't paid for his textbook. So, so the two things are, are, are handled very differently. We got a couple questions, um, I'm sorry, about the foundation fund. Jenna was saying, I want to know if the lunch fund they have set up for people to donate into gives immediate relief to students or if they just collect it until the end of the school year. I would be more than happy to give money towards other children's school lunches if I knew it actually started helping them right away. Um, th- what the superintendent reported at this meeting is that um, she's worked with our so- or our or our IT people have worked with their software our software companies so that in the lunch line, if somebody comes through and it's their fourth charge, and they would have their meal taken away, it's been changed to the cashier pushes the house account, and so it pays for that fourth lunch automatically. Um, now, it's I think the three before that would still be paid for or asked to be paid for by the family. So um, now that the policy is going to change, I'm not really sure how that's going to work, but I think, yes, the, no, the donations are supposed to keep children from uh, having their meal taken away. But if the policy changes, they're not going to have their meal taken away anyway. So I think the donations will just work to pay off the the highest debt first and then work through there. But we'd appreciate ideas on how to do that from anyone. Unfortunately, we are out of time. Uh, thank you so much to all of our guests for being here today. I'm sorry we couldn't make it to all the questions. Uh, thank you to Kathy Puentes-Royer, Sue Wanzer, Julio Alonzo, Kate Young, and Tim Clower. And thank you to producer... Angelo Batista, Michael Pashkash, co-host Barbara Brozier. I'm Sarah Whitmire. Thanks for listening. Noon Edition is a production of WFIU and the Herald Times. A podcast of this and other WFIU programs is available at WFIU.org. Production support comes from School of Public Health Bloomington. Public Health Reimagined, addressing 21st century health challenges with a multidisciplinary approach to disease prevention, health promotion, and enhancing quality of life. publichealth.indiana.edu. And Smithville Fiber, the Gigacity Company. Fiber internet, HD, and digital IPTV in Southern Indiana. More information at smithville.com.